Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Here are your hosts, Dave Adamson and Ashley Bohens. How's it going, everyone? My name is Dave. Welcome to episode 58 of the Think Orange podcast on a beautiful sunny day here in Atlanta. Not that we can see it because we are in the air-conditioned Think Orange bunker. When I say we, I mean myself and Ashbo. Ashley Bohens. <laughs> Thank you. You're not I wasn't even, was even going to answer to that. You're Dave. not even answering to Ashbo anymore. No, I'm hoping you forget it, but for some reason you're not. No, it's just, it's stuck in my head. Hashtag Ashbo. I love it. It's so <laughs> good. People are tweeting about it. Instagram, they're on the grams with the whole Ashbo it's a, thing. I'm getting a Grammy the, for Ashbo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go that far. You'll get a Grammy for all of your amazing vocal dynamics on this podcast. Hey, it is the day after Memorial Day. Ash, you are at my house for a special Memorial Day barbecue with my family. Did you have a good time? I did. It yeah? was so fun. To... You've been wanting to hang out with my wife for a while. I have. I love Meg. She's... It's been so fun getting to know her. Is she a good cook or what? She is. When she throws a shrimp on the barbie. I was yeah. waiting for it. The barbie. <laughs> and we, of course, we invited K-Daddy over. He was able to look through the little portal window. Yeah, we didn't what... actually let him in to no. the celebration. <laughs> no, but he had a good, do you have a good time over there, K-Daddy? It was nice. There you go. <laughs> I mean, excitement, right? He's yeah, so excited. He's still pumped. He's, you can see it written all over his little face. <laughs> hey, uh, but there's more to Memorial Day than barbecues and, and fun with family and friends, right? Yeah, there is. We set aside a day every year to remember all of those people who died while serving in the country's armed forces. And I know that a lot of our listeners have family members who have served... And we just want to say from the Think Orange podcast, mm. we honor all those who have served and sacrificed so much for our country. So, so true. Thank you so much for all that you've done to give us the freedom that we enjoy. Yes, yeah, so true, Dave. Well, today we are talking about finding S-T-A-F-F, who will stick. Is, did I say that one right? Yes. Staff. 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 Who st and we've got some great guests on the show today, including Sarah Jensen and Doug Fields. Now, I know, Ash, you know all about Doug Fields. I do. Doug Fields is a trailblazer in the youth ministry world. It has influenced everybody who's working in youth ministry. He is a very good man and very in shape as well. You know, it's nice to meet a man who appreciates another he, man. <laughs> he is inspiring. I, I kid you not. And also Sarah Jensen, she's an educator and she's the founder of KIPP, K-I-P-P, Memphis Preparatory Elementary. Did I say preparatory all right? Yeah, good job. A what plus. Would, you, would you say preparatory? Preparatory. Preparatory. Okay, just making sure that I didn't offend you with my pronunciation of more words, Ash. You're getting now, better. These two people were interviewed once again by Sarah Bragg. It's, Sarah the, Bragg. it's the Sarah Bragg show at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. It's awesome that she was able to jump in and do these interviews yeah, for us. She, did she does these, a great job. She did these interviews while we were off doing some stuff at Orange Conference 2018. And did you know, Ash, that Orange Conference 2019 is already being organized? I did. There That's have been conversations going on in the office and I am so excited for it. Well, if you don't know what Orange Conference is, it is a three-day conference in Atlanta, Georgia for your entire family ministries team. And here's the great news. If you register before July 12, you know what you get, Ash? You get the super early bird rate of $239. How much? 
$239. Is that all? $239. Pretty much. That is super early bird. And all you need to do to get that is go to theorangeconference.com. That is theorangeconference.com. Now, Ash, you've hired a lot of staff in your time. Yes. Have you hired staff who stick? Yeah, Dave. Actually... I've hired staff who actually moved states to stay on staff with me. Oh, really? Yeah, pretty wow. much. Circles roll together, Dave. Well, that's what we are talking about today, Ash. So we're going to throw it straight over to a Doug Fields clip, and then we're going to hear Sarah interview Sarah. Let's go. Leaders, if we could only lead like we want to be led... So you just think about that. If you, could, if you could only lead like you want to be led, that right there is a game changer. What is it that you as a leader want from the people that are over you? What I wanted at that time is I wanted some recognition. I wanted some affirmation. I wanted some that of boys. I wanted some, you know, whatever it might be. Now, that's not necessarily a slam on that leader. He's an amazing, amazing man, amazing leader, amazing pastor, preacher, the whole bit. But here's the reality. Every leader is a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. They just are. Every leader is a bundle of strengths and weaknesses, and everybody looks better from a distance. Everybody looks better from a distance. So, you know, we sit there in the 6,500 people, we listen to Andy Stanley teach, and, you know, North Point is the church everybody talks about whether they're here, and Andy Stanley, and Andy Stanley, and Andy Stanley. You know, but that's from a distance. That you get up close to Andy Stanley, you might see that he's... He's different, he's weird, he's awkward, whatever. His breath smells, he has gas. I don't know, all right? I've only been up close with him a few times and he was, he was fine in those moments, all right? But the reality is a lot of times we come to stuff like this and we look at these other people that are, all oh, they're amazing speakers, amazing leaders from a distance. Can I just tell you that leadership is really not about comparison because anytime you compare, you will lose. Okay. Anytime you compare, you lose, because you're going to want to go one of two ways. One, you're going to move to an area of pride, right? That's a loss. Or you're going to feel bad or insecure about yourself, and, and that's a loss. So that is, you know, as we start this thing talking about leadership and how do we bring out the best in others, I just want to say to you, quit trying to be Andy Stanley. Quit trying to be Reggie Joyner or Beth Moore or whoever your superhero is. You know, be, be yourself, Be yourself because when you're authentically yourself and you lead how you wish you were led, you're going to be an amazing and a great great leader. So I've had the privilege to lead a lot of teams. I've had the privilege to pour into a lot of people over 35 years of of ministry, 30 years in the church, and then the last five years, I started a company called Download Youth Ministry, and we have a team of leadership, a team that I think is a pretty amazing team. But what I'm finding more and more about the church is that, you know, when I'm with youth, youth workers, I'll say, how many of you, well, let's just ask you this, how many of you wish you had more volunteer leaders? Let me just, you wish you had more volunteers, right? So you look around, you go, okay, we have, we have a leadership problem, but I don't think that's the real leadership problem in the church. I think the real leadership problem in the church is that you and I, in our church environments, we're not very good at developing other leaders. I have a buddy of mine, Met him on a church softball team, came to Christ a little bit, long story fun, owns a restaurant called Boneheads. And um, he, because I was instrumental in his life, it's funny, this is the guy that changed my life. 
And I always am explaining to him, no, more, that was Jesus, okay? And I just, I just helped you meet him, all right? But I get to eat at his restaurant for free, and so I go there all the time, I sit in a booth, I put on my headphones, and I work, but a lot of times he'll be in the booth behind me, and he, he takes his cooks and his employees, and he does to them what I've never seen in the church. He coaches them up. He cares for them. I'm like, dude, Morgan, if you could get into the church culture, he goes, no, no, everybody does this in business. I go, well, maybe they do in business, but they, they don't do it in the church. In 30 years working in the church, you know how many times I've been critiqued on my speaking? One time, okay? I was the number two preacher at Saddleback Church for 19 years. One time did I get any evaluation. One time my pastor told me that my weddings that I do are too long. Okay, your weddings, they need to be shorter. Okay, you know, that was it. We're just not very good at developing people, right? Wouldn't you say that? That a lot of times, you know, we have a little, I need to hire a children's person, or I need to hire this person. We have it on our task list, and then we check it off when we finally get that person, and then we turn our back on them. And... I think we just, you know, that's why I love the fact that you're, um, you're, you signed up for this or there's nothing else open and you came to this, whatever it was. But, you know, to be a developer of leaders, to bring out the best in others, you have to be intentional about it. It's not, it's not accidental. We don't have to be intentional about getting older. We're good at that. We don't have to be intentional about becoming more, you know, relevant. Maybe we do, I don't know. But we've got to be intentional about developing leaders or else our leadership, our message, our values, our heart dies with us. So I think leaders have to decide if they want to leave a legacy of one or a legacy of many. Do you just want to be a one man or one woman show at the end of your life when it's all done, when you look back over your ministry? Is it that you built the greatest this or you were the executive of that or the family of this? Or do you have just a legacy of other people that you have poured into and built up? And in order to do that, I think there are some tangible, practical action steps that you and I can take place. I'm gonna give you 10, okay? Because here's what I like when I sit where you sit. I don't like a bunch of theory. Because um, I can read theory. What I like is a practice. Like, I want to know, what can I, what can I do tomorrow? What can I put into place now? Give me a sermon that I can download and preach and take out your name uh, and correct the theology, you know, that type of thing. Like, I, I need stuff. I'm in the trenches, okay? So I'm going to give you 10 that I would consider my best practices, and my hope is that maybe one or two of these would, would apply to you. But first is this. I think if you want to bring out the best in others, you have to give up your pride. You have to move your ego to the back seat. As a matter of fact, what would be a better move is to kick your ego um, out of the car altogether. And I realize that those of us in the serving ministry, especially those of you in children and youth, you don't get a lot of strokes you don't get a lot of encouragement anyway. And so anytime you do, you know, like you preach your heart out and a kid comes up to you and they think, you think they're gonna say, Pastor, that was the greatest message I've ever heard. You know, I just love the way that you teach. They say, uh, can I borrow a dollar for a Coke? You know, it's that type of thing. <laughs> so, you know, you don't, you don't get a lot of uh, that of boys and affirmation, that type of, type of thing. So you're, you're going like, Doug, I don't have much pride anyway. But when it comes to bringing out the best in others, when it comes to developing a team, this really it becomes an issue of what I call spotlight leadership. A spotlight leader is one that puts the spotlight on, on others. 
that you recognize that you could be in the spotlight because you're the primary leader, you're the point person, you're the big cheese, you know, whatever you are, but you put the spotlight on other people where they are recognized, where their gifts can be developed, where they're valued, where they're appreciated, where the audience sees them instead of you. I actually think to be a great leader, you have to be okay with other people getting the credit. And that's, that becomes a pride issue, okay? And you have to make conscious choices. Is it my, you know, am I gonna take the credit for this or am I gonna deflect it and put the spotlight on, on others? I think some of the best leaders I've ever seen are the people that you've never heard about. They're just, you've just not heard about them because they're behind the scenes building into other people and highlighting other people and putting the spotlight on, on, on other people. Okay, so first, you've got to give up your pride. Second, I think to be a great leader, you have to give up your perfectionism. So complete this sentence with me. If you want a job done right, you need to, yeah, do it yourself. And most of us in here, we live as if that's one of the Beatitudes, right? <laughs> that, you know, we, we got we to do it right. Well, if you're going to bring out the best in others, what you have to do is you have to give away responsibility. And, uh, you know, you, you've... You've got to give up the fact that not everything has to be has to be perfect. Now, for some of you, that's a you know perfectionism is a sign of control, and control is the opposite of faith, right? And so, if you can't control things out in your world, you try to control other people, or you want things to be perfectionistic, and <laughs> you need to get into counseling uh, for that. But you know, you, you you will. I think the goal of leaders is you want people to be better than yourself. So my. My, uh, the person I founded uh, Download Youth Ministry with, his name is Josh Griffin, and he followed me as the high school pastor at Saddleback Church. And, you know, I told him, we, Kathy and I, we took him out, him and Angela out to dinner when we handed him the mantle, basically, you know, gave him the baton and said, Josh, my dream is that, uh, that it'll be like Doug who? Yeah, I know he wrote a bunch of youth ministry books, but, but Doug who? You know, I want you to tear apart anything that I've ever done and anything I can do to up, you know, help you. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying the only reason I'm able to do that is because somebody did that for me. And for some of you in here, you've never had anybody do that for you. And so you don't know that. So I've got this guy named Jim Burns in my life. He was my youth pastor, my biggest hero. He's, he's here teaching somewhere here uh, today. He's, he's unbelievable. And when I meet somebody or somebody goes, will mention somebody's name and they go, yeah, but they're just, they're arrogant or they're cocky or they're this or they're that. Here's what I think. They didn't have a Jim Burns in their life because they're really good. I mean, that's, that person's a good person. He's doing great things or she's doing great things. They just didn't have a Jim Burns in their life to, to say it'll be okay and you don't have to make it perfect and just go and risk and take a chance and that type of thing. But, you know, to be a great leader and bring out the best in others, you got to give up perfectionism that, you know, you're, you're insecure leaders. Let me say it this way. If you're an insecure leader, you will never bring out the best in others. You just won't because insecure people want to make it about themselves. So you'll be putting the spotlight back on yourself rather than putting, you're too busy building your own value. So these are kind of tough, but I think these are kind of starting points for bringing out the best in leaders. So insecure leaders will never bring out the best in others. Number three is to bring out the best in others, you have to give them your genuine belief. It's not just belief, 
oh, you're the greatest, you're going to do, no, it's, it's genuine belief, like, no, I really, I really, really believe in you, and if you think about the people who were influential in your life, the Jim Burnses in your life, they were, they were great at something, they were great at listening, they were great at challenging you, they were great at being present, but one of the things that they had in common is that um, they, they believed in you, and that is a really good message to have, think about this, if you could have somebody believe in you, man, it would just relieve some of your stress. It would give you a freedom to be who you are. But some of you in here are posturing all the time in your leadership because you're, getting, you're trying to get somebody in your church team to recognize you or recognize what you're doing. And instead, you know, if you had somebody believing in you, it just allows you to breathe. It allows you to... Uh, to be who God created you to be. It allows you to move forward. Does this make sense? So the flip of this is that people that you're leading, if you want to bring out the best in them, you've got to believe in them and give them genuine belief. Let me tell you one more Jim Burns story. It was when I was a junior in high school. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. We were playing ultimate frisbee in the church parking lot and I'm very competitive and I'm sure at one point I like hip checked a girl into the bushes or something like that in order to catch the frisbee. And afterwards, Jim pulled me aside. And I don't see him angry very often, but he kind of like, you know, pushed me against the wall. And this was the 70s when you could actually hit kids, uh, you know, in, in church. And he, you know, he said something to the effect, here's what I remember, is, Doug, you have great leadership abilities and you've never even seen it. But you've got to make some decisions about what is most important to you because when you care more about the Frisbee than that girl you're a jerk, okay? When you care more about winning than the people on the field, he goes, that's not leadership. You have, and he goes, I believe that you're either gonna be a great leader or like a great failure. I'm sure he didn't say a great failure, but that's kind of what I heard in my, you know, junior and high school brain. But it was just that, that was that belief, and I've held on to that belief. Um, I wrote a, a book called Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, and it became the best-selling book in the history of youth ministry. It's like in 25 different languages. Well, Jim wrote a book called High School Ministry, which, you know, in the 80s was the textbook. And Jim read my manuscript of Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, and he said, Doug, it's good. It's good, but it's not great. He goes, you need, you need more time on this. I believe this book will change the way we do youth ministry. Now get back to work. I'm like, okay, I, you know, if you believe that it will be, I mean, I just need somebody to believe. And so what I've found in the church, in leadership, everybody you're working with, they are just dying for somebody to come alongside them metaphorically and go, I believe in you. And then prove it with your, your support. So uh, now, belief, this right here, this is an intangible part of leadership. Because you can't go up to that person you work with every day and put your arm you know, on their shoulders and awkwardly stare and go, I believe in you. <laughs> go get them. You know, give them a little pat on them. But you can't do that, all right? So there's an intangible part of this, but it's very real. Because belief is a decision. Belief is a decision. Belief is a decision that you help them understand that they're wonderful, that they're valuable, that they're created to do good things and they deserve your confidence. Now, if you're a leader of others, let me just give you a little tip. 
You know, remind people occasionally how talented they are. Remind people occasionally how talented they are. And some people will be defensive of that. Well, I just don't want them to get a big head. Look, if they're in ministry, they're not going to get a big head. Okay? And usually big-headed people are insecure people, so they need even more belief. Does that make sense? Okay? Just remind them how talented and gifted they are. Another way that you believe in them is to affirm them or encourage them. Um, that's very, very practical. Now, um, how many of you in here, your love language is words? Okay, now for the 20% that just raised your hand, you don't have a hard time with that, do you? You don't have a hard time encouraging people. Why? Because that's your love language. You're an encouraging person, okay? That's my, my love language. So this weekend I was speaking at, at uh, Mariner's, Mariner's Church in Southern California where I'm on the preaching team, and the high school pastor came in the backstage with his dad. So the high school pastor's backstage, and uh, wants to introduce me to his dad. Well, backstage was the senior pastor of the church, the executive pastor, the whole bit. And I meet the dad of the high school pastor, and I immediately go into bragging on Alex. Man, your son is killing it. He is doing great, and I just went on to affirm him in front of his dad. Now, um, Alex, I'm trying to find the text here. Alex texted me right afterwards, after he left. He said, thanks for bragging, uh, thanks for bragging on me while I was back there. And I just text him back, because I'm mentoring this Alex guy. I said, that's what leaders do. Okay? Leaders brag. Leaders brag on other leaders, putting the spotlight on. Not just in front of his dad, but I was doing that in front of the executive pastor, the senior pastor, other, other leadership team. That's what we do. We encourage them. And by the way, praise in public, criticize in private. Okay? So praise in public. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's just a way to communicate belief in those that, that you're leading, criticize in, in, in private. Uh, you know, I've never met any church worker, paid or volunteer, who has said to me, Doug, look, <laughs> you gotta stop encouraging me, man. I've just, I've had it up to here with all this encouragement. I just can't take it anymore. You know? No, nobody's ever done that. Because ministry oftentimes is discouraging. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, on Sunday after church, I would drive by McDonald's and see a help wanted sign and go, that'd be a good job. <laughs> you know, nine to five, people, you know, people complain at church. People don't complain at McDonald's. If they complain at McDonald's, they go, I don't like a Big Mac. You, can... <laughs> you want a quarter pounder instead? I don't like a Big Mac either, you know? I... I, I, they don't call you, you work at McDonald's, they don't call you at midnight and say, you know, we've misplaced some of the sesame seed buns. Can you come? No, you just, gosh, that would be a great job. You know, a nine to five? Let's just, true confessions. Those of you in full-time ministry for over five years, how many of you have thought about quitting and getting a nine to five? Yeah, look around. Look, 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 look. Yeah, I want you to see that you're not alone. Yeah. So, you know, we're dying. We're dying for encouragement. And so that's all that part of belief. Now, you want to bring out the best in leaders for, well, let me go back here just for a second. So the 20% of us in here where that's our love language, we do that all the time. For those of you where this isn't your love language, this is like, this is like, for you, it's like Rosetta Stone. You're trying to learn a foreign language. You're like, I think you are doing good job, you know. <laughs> It's awful, okay? When you're a words person and non-words person tries to affirm you, it's like you want to save them and go, oh, you know what? 
why don't you write it out? Okay, <laughs> write it out. Just give it to me, okay? <laughs> but it doesn't mean you don't learn it. Right? You don't learn it for you non-words people. You're probably working with words people. And you walk by them after a great event or something, something that they've done, and you don't say anything. You might as walk by them and hit them with a stick in the face because they're like, you know, it, it has the same effect, okay? Number four, give them real responsibilities. If you want to bring out the best in people, there's a difference between delegating and dumping, Okay, there's a big difference between delegation and dumping. So delegation is when you, really a better word would be integration. That you integrate them into that responsibility. Dumping is when you give them things you don't like to do. Don't just give away the things that, that you hate to do. Now some of you are going, well I learned in leadership that you, you, know, you want to work yourself out of a job. I don't. I like my job. Okay? I don't want to work myself. Here's what I want to do. Okay? And in 11 years in one church and 19 years in another, I was able to, to do this pretty effectively. You work yourself into your sweet spot. Because okay? really what I want to be able to do is about 80% of what I like to do and 20% that sucks. Okay? That life is not, ministry is not like that. You do about 20% that you really like to do and 80% is terrible. Okay? And so really when, when delegating is getting other people not to do the stuff that you hate to do, but at some point as a leader, you want to you move in your sweet spot, which I hope is developing other, other people. So what is a responsibility? I define a responsibility as significant when both the rewards and the risk are real. People don't want to sit on the sidelines if you're losing your volunteers or your paid staff on a regular basis, it means because you're not pushing them enough. People are high capacity people that are around you and you might be delegating you know, junior varsity tasks when they're ready for varsity play. So there's gotta be some reward and some risk, meaning, meaning this, I probably wouldn't you know, delegate vacation Bible school to a brand new intern or, you know, hey, run this international mission trip, you know, to, to a newbie. But I do want to give them some piece of it where I don't have to do everything myself. And really, I think it comes down to a matter of, a matter of motive. When you give them real responsibilities, what's your motive behind that? And then give them meaningful relationships, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if what? You have love for one another, okay? That if you love one another, people will know that you're my disciples. I think too many, too many ministry teams aren't really teams at all. They're actually like corporate entities where they come, they kind of punch in, they do their job, and then they go home. And if your leaders around you feel like they are a cog in your ministry machine wheel, you're using them. And if people feel like they're being used, they're not gonna wanna play with you. They're not gonna wanna be around you. So they need more than just tasks. And it's not enough for us to just like the people on our team. We're called to love one another. Think Orange podcast recording here at Orange Conference 2018. I'm Sarah Bragg and I'm sitting at the table with Sarah Jensen. 
So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. I know. I'm excited to get to chat with you. Um, Just even reading over some of our questions, I'm like, these are all things that I need to know. So I'm very excited. But before we dive into the main point of our conversation today, I would love to just give our listeners a little bit of a background of who you are and what you've done and how that has set you up to what you're doing now. Sure. So that's a really long story. Um, I am originally from Iowa, thought I'd be going to law school, Uh, took a turn of events when my roommate called and said, hey, I forgot this group. They need people to do informational interviews. It was my senior year. I didn't have class on Friday. I show up. It's this group called Teach for America. No idea what it was, but I walked out with goosebumps. I canceled my internship for the summer and I applied. So I became a teacher. Wow. So, so you weren't pl- not even planning to be a teacher? Not at all. Ironically, and maybe not now Alanis Morissette has messed up that word for me, but, <laughs> um, but the reality is I had studied things I loved during college and I wanted to go into child advocacy. So I thought law would be a good way right. to do that. Well, I ended up using all of my child development knowledge as right. a teacher. I was which about to was say, what, did you, what drew you to Teach for America? Uh, it just, it was it's just something, you know. Yeah. So I sat down, I didn't know what they did, and hearing this gentleman share his own, not only how he felt he impacted students, but mostly how students had impacted him. I was like, this is an organization that is not about like saving, this is an organization that's about serving. Because when you're learning alongside and with kids, it's always much deeper for everybody. Wow. Okay, so where did you go from there? So then, gosh, I joined KIPP as a founding teacher. So we opened an elementary school at that time. KIPP was writing their own curriculum. So I was leading the teachers to write curriculum. I was in charge of assessment and instruction. I was the, well, they called it the hit by the bus person. So if our principal had been, something happened, which is a horrible thing to say, um, I would have been that. You would have stepped up. I would have stepped up. Yes. And then what, um, for those of listening, what is mm-hmm. KIPP? Yes. So KIPP stands for Knowledge is Power Program. And that is a, a network of nationwide schools that serve kids who need us the most. Wow. And you were one of the founders of that. Is that what Not of that. Ooh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. But I was one of the founders of a elementary school in okay. Houston. Got so it. from there, I, I was a Miles Family Fellow with them. I then, to be honest, burned out. The work is hard. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of find myself again. Moved to Denver, Colorado. Became a dean of culture at a different founding CMO. And during that process, um, Terrence Johnson continued to call and just check in with me every month or so. Hey, are you happy? And if I said yes, he said, I'm so happy for you. And that was, you know, we caught up and talked. And then one day he called and it was interesting timing. And I said, huh. He said, are you happy? And I said, yeah, kind of. He's like, yeah, even if you had said, yeah, I was going to push a little harder this time. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked me to go to Memphis, meet with those schools there. And I joined them as an instructional coach and then uh, went on to found an elementary school. That's impressive. Yeah. So now what are you doing? So now that's a great question. I recently joined Rethink and Phase Foundations. So getting to work with both groups has been really And and tell everybody what Phase Foundations is in case they don't know. Yes. So Phase Foundations is one of the many amazing things that has been birthed from the Phase Guides. And so the, the idea was last fall, well, what if there was a curriculum for birth through fives that was based on the phases of development? And so from there, everybody's worked incredibly hard to bring this idea to life. And now that will be available. That's wild yeah. and exciting. Well, well, today we want to talk about finding staff who stick. And so I, I'm glad that we walked through your history because I feel like it shows that you have this 
wealth of knowledge of hiring people and retaining people and probably even firing people, maybe that all the things, because I know for me as a leader, a ministry leader, um, some of the hardest things that I've ever done as a ministry leader is hire people. And I don't know what it is, why it feels so daunting and why it feels so hard. And I feel like we feel the pressure that it's important to get the right people and you don't want people who are going to walk away sooner than later. And so I would love to hear if you have a specific process for helping to find great people. So I think the reason it feels hard is because it is hard. And the reason it is hard is because as a leader, our greatest responsibility is choosing the human capital with which to invest. Right. And so that was one thing that really turned for me when I made the transition from teacher to leader was someone placed me in an incredible responsibility. I got to work with kids every day. I was selected and chosen to do that. And because of the process at KIPP, feeling selected and feeling chosen created such a difference as to how I approached my work. I was always a hard worker. I was always ready for the next opportunity. But this was a level of professionalism that I had not yet been exposed to as an educator. You know, at my previous school, it was more like, okay, here's the curriculum. You know what to do. At KIPP, it was like, let's sit down. Let's talk about your gifts. Let's talk about your strengths. Let's talk about our school. Let's talk about fit. What questions do you have for us? And so it was such a different experience that I started to see myself differently. And therefore, I grew differently. Mm. And so, gosh, honestly, I developed a process standing on the shoulders of giants, really. I kind of picked and pulled from the greatest leaders I had had the opportunity to work with. I also have um, two parents who are really great leaders themselves. And so I leaned on the advice of my dad and my mom tremendously hearing about like, okay, how do you make really good hires? What things have you done? And I kind of melded it and figured out what worked, fell on my face a lot. (laughs) Um, And where I landed was... It's a pretty lengthy process. And so the first piece I want to want to point out is in Memphis, here was the context. They did a study showing that in Memphis, Tennessee, only 16.2% of kids in poverty were being taught by high-performing teachers. Wow. That tells you, okay, there's a shortage, right? There's a shortage. That's a fact. The other fact is that 47% of teachers leave every year leave their school. Maybe they go to a different school. That tells me the work is hard. Turnover is crazy. And so knowing those two variables, knowing that this was the community that I wanted to plant seeds in, I had to figure out a process so that I was not only getting people, but the right people and people who would stay. Yes. And so I'm trying to even think about how to go into this process, but it really is a process that protected me from my own pitfalls. So... And how did you even yeah. know your own pitfalls? I mean, oh. that's, that takes someone to go do some self-introspective work to know yes. what are your own pitfalls in this. Yes. And I think that's where hiring starts, begins, and grows. I guarantee you, if you talk to me in 20 years, my process will have changed. Mm-hmm. I'll be hiring for different positions. I'll be hiring for different reasons. And I wish that I could give a one, two, three step, but context matters. And so that introspection is where it has to start. So the first thing you have to do is get really clear on where the bar is, and that bar does not move. I had a classroom empty for two and a half months until I found the right person. Was that hard? Yes, but I guarantee you it was easier than having the wrong person in that seat. Yes. And so one of the pitfalls was, um, ended up 
becoming the screen process of the interview. So I'm someone who likes to give everybody a chance. My heart is big. My heart is open. I want to believe in you and I want you to do great. I found you. I like you. You're hired. Um, my dad reminded me that, you know, in high school, that's kind of how I would date people. Hey, great. <laughs> you know, I know we're, I know I really don't like you like that, but you asked me to go to the movies and I don't want to hurt your feelings. So okay. Right. And so his point was, and he actually kind of helped me develop this. He's like, you have to put something in place that gives you objective, like insight so that your feelings and your hopes, because, you know, I love love. I wanted to fall in love. I've been wanting to start a family for forever. I've wanted that. And it's similar. You want a good candidate. You want a good hire. So when you want something, you can start to wish on them what they are not. Hmm. And so my screen was a series of questions that before I even met with them, they were filling out either online or on the phone with someone else. And then all I got to see was the paper. And so this was my ability to just say yay or nay on the front. Yes. And I'd say 70% of people didn't make it past that screen. And that's okay. Right. Okay, so what were some of those, those three questions? Oh, man. Well, that's really tough because these were all related to context. Okay. I mean, it I can is. give a couple, like, yeah. big picture examples. One question, this one's Kips, but, you know, that's why it's, like, yes. super applicable, but to everything. But one was, how do you, do you agree or disagree with the statement, kids don't fail, teachers do? The screen questions were not only for me, they were also for the candidate. Yeah. Because it helps them screen it themselves out. It helps them out. narrow down. Is this where I want to be? Right. Right. And I think that's great because ministry leaders, when it comes to whether it's hiring volunteers mm-hmm. or hiring staff, that's a great place to start. Okay. So what what is this like? What are some maybe three questions that we can figure out that need to be asked that will help us really narrow down who this is? Yep. That's great. The screen also helped me categorize people. So I didn't want a lack of opportunity to education to limit a person's ability to Mm -hmm. contribute to the school. The screen also helped me put them in buckets. Is this someone who has the potential to earn a degree? Is this someone who already has a degree? Is this someone who could work towards a degree while working with us? Mm -hmm. And so then I had positions accordingly. Yeah. What are characteristics that you looked for in, in making a good hire? So I'm a big believer in mindset over skill set. There are some basic skill sets that different positions require. For example, I couldn't do the technology behind this podcast. And if I were to hire someone, that would be a skill set I'd have (laughs) to find. But at the same time, when we're talking about working with kids and we're talking about working with with other leaders, different positions, skill set is most easily taught. Mindset takes time to develop. And so if I can focus on mindset, especially when our work is urgent, that's going to be my focus. So I'm looking for people who believe that being smart is a muscle, not a trait. Mm. I'm looking for people who think that growing is based in feedback, and that means I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, and I'm okay with that. So I'm not looking for the person whose mistake is actually a strength, which we know. You know, that's kind of been done, so now everyone knows not to do that. And so we have to get real. And that's the next piece of the process, is I actually don't go from a screen to an interview I go to a real-time exercise because a lot of people can talk the talk and sometimes their actions don't match. Oh yeah, for sure. So for me, if you were an office manager, that meant you're coming in, you're running the office for half a day and I'm in there watching and I'm interacting and I'm seeing how you respond to families, how you greet the little one who's had an accident. I am going to invite a teacher in and prior to that, they're going to have submitted a lesson plan based on an objective and then they're going to teach a class. They're going to actually teach a class, and then I'm asking the kids how they felt during that lesson. I'm asking them, what did you learn? 
And so that real-time exercise provides us with a tangible experience to share. Now, here's the great thing. I'm not looking for someone who's perfect. In fact, one of my best hires ever, Mr. Wright, and he is magical. And Jamar, maybe I'll send this to you, but <laughs> you know, his, his sample lesson wasn't the best sample lesson I'd ever seen. But afterwards, the reason I do the real-time experience is the reflection. I'm looking for someone who's self-aware. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for someone who can say, these are the things that I did really well, and I'll own those, and I'll continue to do those. These are the things that didn't go quite so well, and either I need help on this, or better yet, here are the three different ways I could think to do it differently next time. And Mr. Wright, while he didn't have the best sample lesson ever, his reflection was incredibly insightful. He not only knew what had happened, where he lost the kids, but he told me the misconception that he made prior to the lesson hmm. that led him there. That's when I knew. Yeah. You're going on to the joint interview, man, and I'm just crossing my fingers, tickled pink, that our paths crossed. Okay. So then the next step was, you say joint interview? Is that what you yes. said? So at that point in time, if I'm ready to pursue this, this possibility... I let this person know, hey, I'd love to interview you for XYZ position at the school. I'd like to know if you'd like to interview me as your school leader or your principal. And with that energy comes a very different space. Because the truth is the best of the best want to be interviewed, and they're also interviewing. Right? The second truth is that I don't want someone that I end up doing things to or doing things for because of the power dynamic of our positions. I want to interview someone that I'll be working with. Because as a principal, I need that teacher, that position to keep me grounded, to keep me current on what's best for kids. And so by creating that space of the joint interview, teachers or office managers are now coming with their own curiosities, their own questions. They're starting to ask themselves, what kind of place do I want to work in? Where do I want to grow? And and similar for me with Kip, it starts to help you see yourself as exponential and not as just hopeful. Right? And so... There, there's just a shift. And so the joint interview is really a dialogue. It's not a question and answer. In fact, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot of writing things down except for the things that make me tingle, <laughs> right? And I'm certainly not looking for one answer in particular. And so these questions were developed alongside, you know, a lot of different trainings that I went through through KIPP and they're very urban ed teacher focused. Mm-hmm. But the really important thing is after the interview, there's a rubric, And within that rubric, I'm able to objectively quantify that joint interview. Hmm. Because again, my feelings can get in the way. That's what I was about to say. That's where I feel like we tend to go wrong is Mm -hmm. our feelings lead the way. Right. So each component of this, the screen has a rubric, the real-time exercise has a rubric, the reflection has a rubric, the joint interview has a rubric. Everything is quantifiable. And because I've already determined where the bar is before I even met someone, They either meet the bar or they don't. And that is really hard. And I will say the few times I've made exceptions and they were below the bar, they did not make it through the year. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Because you knew ahead of time. You knew. I knew. And yep. (laughs) I knew. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I want to know about the keeping process. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's, and you mentioned that in your statistic even earlier that Uh, People weren't staying. People don't tend to stay. And so what have you learned from your own experience to create such a culture or an environment where staff wants to stay? Yeah. Well, it starts with the hiring. It really does. And one point that I want to make sure I make is I know that what I just described, it's a lengthy process. It's hours of invested time. 
Keep in mind, though, each is a step. And it's purposefully like that because if you did all of these for everyone, one, you're probably spinning your wheels. But but the point I'd like to make is when you don't take the time up front to get the right person, you hire that person, how much time do they take from you over the next one to two years? Right? How much time does that take? From the, your mission even. From your mission from your, and from yeah. others that are ready. Yeah. And sometimes those people take others with them. And that's when they really, it's a really hard time pinch because it's not just your time, it's kids' time. Right. And that's the most important time to protect. Yeah. So the front-loading piece is, is huge. But to your point about keeping people, it's, it's, I think, part of the process is making sure they understand how invested I am in them as people. And for that reason, after the joint interview, if I want to offer someone a position, within three hours, I've crafted an email that's personalized, that really t- expresses to them my gratitude for knowing them as a human, for helping me become a better human. And these are real things. And if I don't have real reasons, I'm probably not going to want to offer right. them the job. And then the second thing I do is I, I ask them to take you know, a personality test or a, a self-assessment tool. And that's so I can start developing them now. That's so I can learn the most that I can about them so that they actually get to experience and feel the difference. This is a place where they're going to learn about me and start with where I am, and they're going to grow me. So there's a million tools out there. I use the Enneagram. It's a free one. I love the Enneagram. What are you? Yes. Oh, I don't even know right now. I think I've changed. <laughs> like I'm in an identity I'm crisis like, right now. I'm like, oh my gosh. I actually took it again the other day. Okay, and I'm just, so I'm having some, well, in, pro- Maybe in preparation for this. Right. And I just, I'm having feelings because it's different. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. That's so, so funny. Anyway, <laughs> yes. That'll be the next episode is we're going to walk through the identity right? crisis that we're having. The other thing that I did with the Enneagram was when the, the team came together, I had to foster this team and family. And so I, I really developed ways for us to become vulnerable with an, one another while still feeling safe within the space. What, what, what did that look like? Oh, gosh. I mean, life maps, obviously. But the key to the life map is either modeling for someone, sharing the tough stuff of your journey, or finding someone who's willing to be vulnerable first. Yes. Right? So I think it's in living the action. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that was part of that initial onboarding week was sharing our Enneagram, right? And with your team, we actually create a, created a love of self and others book. So as you know, the Enneagram tells you, okay, here's you at your best self, right? Mm-hmm. Here's you at your worst self. Here are some things that like might lead you to act more from your worst self place. And here are some things your teammates can do to support you. So because there was a book that lived and breathed, if you noticed your coworker was having a rough day, right. you didn't go to them with the golden rule. Here's what I would want someone to do for me to perk me up. Here's a coffee. Right. You'd go to the book and say, you know what? They might just need a nonverbal nod. Right. I understand. I got you. And so we use that to learn about one another as well as, you know, my my leader and I, Miss uh, Miss O, Jessica, mm-hmm. we would sit down. We would use those two to figure out like, okay, are we meeting the needs of our teams? Are we? And the thing is, I will say this. I didn't do a lot of things well as a principal, <laughs> but I hired well. I am so proud of the people that joined our team. In fact, after founding year, which is a really tough year, and usually a higher percentage of teachers leave, we had only 7% of our staff left. That's impressive. I think one of the things that I've picked up on in this conversation is the availability that that you made yourself to your staff, that that is a key thing that sometimes we as the leader 
want to step away or we're already bogged down with all these things, but making yourself available to your team is a huge deal because they know that you're, oh, you're with me. You're with me on this. It's not this hierarchy and we're separated. Right. That was a big theme of our school. We believed at all ages, including ourselves, people, if you're 50, 15 or five, we are fundamentally happiest when we do things with people, not to people or for people. Yeah. Is there any final lessons that you feel like is helpful that you, you go, gosh, if I had learned this when I was starting out, this would have been set me up for a little bit easier walking forward? Yes. Sometimes not offering a position is just as kind as offering the position. I think we can get into this place of feeling responsible for someone's future to a detrimental extent. If someone's not a good fit, you're not doing them any service or kindness by pretending they are. And if you're hiring out of a place of desperation, I promise you, you're going to regret that call. So I think, you know, it's really, I look at it as liberating people before you have to let them go because having had to sit across the table and I still get emotional and letting someone know that they're not in a position to be helping kids and they will no longer have a job, which means they will no longer have a salary, which means they will no longer have benefits. And I understand the impact on their family. That's on me as much as it's on them. I either made the wrong call for the hire in the first place, or I was unable to reach them through development. And so I take that very, very seriously. And so those times that I have experienced that help me to realize, really liberate them because otherwise you're going to have to let them go. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. This has been so helpful. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks. Well, there was so much great information in both that clip and in that interview that Sarah did with Sarah about not hiring the wrong person, right? You know, I could so relate to the the tension that's formed like when you really desperately need help, whether it's on the staff yeah. or volunteers, and you're like, I will take anybody to take the weight off totally. of it. Totally. I've definitely experienced what they were talking about when it actually becomes a heavier weight. And then yeah. it's, it's a bigger problem than yeah. having nobody there. And then that moves into the other part of what they were talking about, about the need for us to develop the staff who we hire. Yeah, um, That's something that I try to focus on whenever I've hired staff. I really try to build in a staff development plan. And one of the things I love about the church where I work is I get actually a budget for staff development. Mm-hmm. So I've always had my staff, we all read a book together and we schedule time to read that book together. Yeah, I love that, Dave. And and one of the things I've really learned about developing my staff and volunteers is there's a difference between dumping and delegating mm. and coaching your your leaders and your staff members and how to do something so yeah. they feel equipped to do yeah. it and not like they're set up to fail. Yeah. Um, but I think also importantly, when you're making the hire, what I loved that they talked about was making sure you're on the same page. That's so important. Because you can hire someone who's great. Yeah. But if they're not on the same page, they're going to jump ship soon. Yeah. And that that is why the interview process is so important, right? Because everybody looks great on a resume. That's the purpose of a resume. Everybody right. looks good. But these are the things you have to find out while you're doing that, doing that interview process. And it's hard because yeah. I feel like 
every hire is a risk. I mean, just like every volunteer you put in a volunteer role is a risk. It's so true. It's so true. Hey, there was some practical stuff on today's episode. We hope that it was helpful for you. If it was, please make sure that you share this with a friend. Also, make sure you leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That just helps us get the word out. We'd also love it to if you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. That way you get notified whenever we're coming back with a brand new episode, which is a great thing, Ash, don't you? think. Yeah. It would be great just to get notified on your phone that Ashbo and Aussie Dave are back with another episode of the Think Orange podcast, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. So make sure you hit that subscribe button right now. <laughs> Smash it if you want to, whatever takes your fancy. We just want you to make sure you hit it. And fancy. also- <laughs> Did you say tickle your fancy? You're still picking on the way that I talk. It's just, you know, hey, I'm learning. You know what? I'm Australian and this is how I talk. You do you, Dave. I am- <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who complains about my accent. Everybody else I'm loves not it. complaining. Everybody I'm trying to understand it. you. It feels good to be known. Hey, you so know I'm trying what? to understand yes. you. That's it. You, all you need to understand is that I come from a land down under. <laughs> Make sure you check out the show like notes. Like the Little Mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> was she from what? She was not from Australia. No, but she was under the water. <laughs> was she? She was under the sea? Actually, I would sing Under the Sea, but it's not my favorite song from The Little Mermaid. Oh, well, what is? I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know something's starting right now. I'm looking at K-Daddy right now, not sure how we got to The Little Mermaid when I had just fed you the line <laughs> to I Come From a Land Down Under, and you didn't go with it. Instead- I'm guessing that's a song. You, Oh my gosh, are you serious? I can't believe that you don't know that. Uh, we're going to have to talk straight after this podcast ends. And I'm going to end it by just saying, you know what? Check out the show notes. Thinkorangepodcast.com. Thinkorangepodcast. You don't know that song. I, I probably just, it hasn't stuck in my head. <laughs> I All come right, from a friends. land down under. Thank you so when much I'm- for listening. <laughs> we will see you next week. And remember, when you think next generation, think Think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. 